I, I think I'm one of the first people that uh, Mike had actually Mike himself, since I usually run the soundboard and uh, recording and everything. So uh, uh, hopefully uh, everything sounds good. Um, good evening. Um, tonight we're going to be studying uh, from Matthew 9. Um, and as we begin, um, who would you say is the greatest peacemaker of all time? Gandhi, Abraham Lincoln, John Lennon, Martin Luther King Jr., Ronald Reagan, FDR. If you were to look up modern day heroes, these individuals would all top, round out the top of the list. These men are remembered in history for brokering peace in war, peace from tyranny, peace from injustice. In fact, in order to be called a peacemaker, you and your life must be defined by peace, the peace brokered, peace found, and peace won. As we begin our study tonight, please turn with me to Matthew 5, found on page 809 of the Bibles provided. Our, uh, our world rightly esteems these peacemakers for their remarkable contributions to history. In tonight's passage, we will explore how God esteems these peacemakers, esteems peacemakers for their role in his story. Please follow along as we read from the beginning of the chapter through verse 12. Matthew 5, 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Tonight we'll focus on verse 9 and unpack it under two headings. First, who God calls peacemakers, and second, who God calls sons. With those headings in mind, let's read Matthew 9 one more time. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Point number one, who God calls peacemakers. As we've already noted tonight, there are many ways to broker peace. You can end a war, prevent injustice, you can find inner peace. We can call an end to strife with friends, coworkers, spouses, and family. Peace is clearly something we need to live in this world. Christians throughout history have wrestled with the concept of war and peace, and it's common both inside and outside of the Christian community to understand Jesus' words here to be speaking about pacifism, and that Christians are called by Jesus to be peacemakers must mean that they also must be pacifists. Many Christian political philosophers have thought uh, quite long and hard about Christianity and pacifism. One of the primary philosophies around this is just war theory. The basic concept being that Christians, Christian citizens of a country may find situations where war is justified and can be supported by Christians. However, debating war and peace as Christians is outside of the scope this evening because I believe, and I believe scripture supports, that Christ has a, very, a much deeper meaning in this passage. If you're curious about Christians and war and pacifism, I'd love to grab a coffee and geek out with you about the different uh, views. I did study political philosophy in school after all. This evening, I'd like to suggest with the aid of God's word that Jesus isn't talking about pacifism here in Matthew 5. Instead, he's talking about what is commonly called peace with God. 
In order to understand what is meant by peace with God, we must first understand the conflict that needs to be resolved for the peace to be achieved. For that, we'll turn to Genesis 3 on page 2 of our Bibles. Many of us know what we're going to find in this passage. Adam and Eve sinned against God. After Eve confessed her sin, God spoke a curse on the serpent, the woman, and the man. Follow along, starting in verse 14. Because you have done this, cursed are you above the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In your pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In your pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then jumping down to verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden, Adam, out of the garden of Eden, to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, since Adam sinned, man has been at war with God. Every man has rebelled against God, just like our father Abraham. This World War Zero, so to speak, has continued since the beginning of time. There is no neutral ground to escape. Every man, woman, child has allied with Adam against God. Paul speaks about this World War Zero uh, uh, when he speaks of God's wrath uh, against the unrighteous in Romans 1, 28 through 32. I'm just going to read that one since we're flipping all over the place. Um, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You see, through our sin, like Adam, we are the unrighteous. We could read this passage replacing the pronoun they with the pronoun we, or even more personally, the pronoun I, since we did not see fit to acknowledge God. Though I know God's righteous decree, I gave approval to those who practice unrighteousness. You get the picture. Even the greatest peacemakers, peacemakers in our history books have not been able to broker an end to this war with God. Each and every one of them have died, victims of the war between God and mankind. Who then, could God, who, who then could Jesus be referring to when he says that peacemakers shall be called sons of God? Turn with me to Ephesians 2 on page 976. The Apostle Paul in this chapter is talking about the work of Christ accomplished on the cross. For example, we find a commonly memorized verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith in this passage. With that context in mind, let's begin with verse 13 of chapter 2. 
But now in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments oppressed in ordinances that he might create in himself a new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See what Paul says here? Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he became our peace with God. Christ, as our mediator, ended the war between God and man. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker that was able to end the hostility between God and man. So while it's easy to assume that Jesus is talking about physical wars and physical peace in Matthew 5, Paul says that there's a much bigger peace brokered through Jesus' work on the cross. And that brings us to our second point this evening, who God calls sons. If Jesus is the peacemaker referred to to in this passage, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, then as the passage says, we can conclude that Jesus will be called a son of God. Our kids run around crazy after church sometimes. Well, most times. If we were to meet a new member of our church and ask who their children were, even in the pure chaos of our children running wild, that father would have no trouble identifying their own child. For who better to identify their child than their own father? A quick skim of the New Testament reveals two places where God the Father himself calls Christ Jesus his son, both in Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration. Let's examine Jesus' baptism first as I read from Matthew 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then again we hear in, uh, in Christ's transfiguration in Matthew 17. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Both of these passages in Matthew bookend our Matthew 5 passage. Prior to Jesus' sermons here, God has already called Christ his Son at his baptism. And then again, God the Father repeats this blessing during Christ's transfiguration. So if Christ is the peacemaker and is called God's son, what does this then mean for us? How can we receive the blessings identified in Jesus in his sermon? To understand what this means for us, let's pick back up of verse 18 of Ephesians 2. Hopefully you kept your fingers there as we're we're flipping all around. That's on 977 in the Bibles in the pew. Uh, Verse 18, for through him we both have access to, sorry, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do we see what Paul says here? How do we become members of the household of God? Through Jesus. 
Again, Paul echoes this promise in Galatians 3.36. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And then he does it once more in uh, Romans 8.14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. As you see, the only way we can be called sons of God is if we become sons through faith. I realized about halfway through my preparation that all the flipping back and forth would be exhausting. Sorry, not sorry. I I pray that we're able to see through our study tonight that Jesus is ultimately talking about himself here in Matthew 5 as both the peacemaker and as the son of God. His spiritual peace brokered, due to his spiritual peace brokered between God and man. This understanding of Christ's sermon leaves us with a couple of points of application that we'll conclude with this evening. First of all, for those that are still fighting in World War Zero with God, you're engaged in a war you cannot win. You're fighting for a peace that you will never be able to broker yourself. Tonight, I call you to put an end to the war and enter into the peace with God that Christ has already brokered for you. Put your faith in him and on the work accomplished by his life, death, and resurrection, and you too can be adopted into the blessings reserved for sons of God. If you'd like to learn more, I urge you to speak with me or another member of ABC about what it means to be a son of God. For those of us that have already been adopted as sons, we ought to seek to emulate Christ as the ultimate peacemaker. What does that mean for us to be peacemakers? Simply put, be like Christ. This is the very purpose of our journey through sanctification. We can never hope to broker such an expansive peace like Christ did. We can and ought, though, to be men and women defined by peace, the same peace of our ultimate peacemaker. Let's pray.